Hi, I'm Drew. And I'm John. This episode and every future episode is for all the horror hounds and smokers out there who want to expand their knowledge of the genre and have a good time. Today we have some special guests here with us, brothers Michael and Jason Levy from Fuzz on the Lens Productions. They're going to spill their guts to us in an exclusive interview. These guys act, direct, produce, do makeup. They do it all. They had roles in the first Terrifier, but Michael died. (laughs) Or did his thing. But Michael's working behind the scenes on Terrifier 2. Jason is back in front of the screen for Terrifier 2. We're going to talk to them about that. Also, their feature film Abnormal Attraction, and a lot more. All that and more on today's episode of High on Horror. Dude, smell this shit. Okay, this is amazing. Wait, uh, dude, th- this smells amazing, but I'm sorry. The name of it is Fuckface. <laughs> uh, indeed it is. Uh, all right, brother, I'm going to get us sparked up. What do you got going on this week for horror history? This week in horror history. So it's funny this week because last week we talked about my favorite animal, a shark with the anniversary of jaws and now this week we're going to talk about your favorite animal for the 41st anniversary of alligator oh yeah uh it's actually funny because my wife's dad he is terrified of alligators and it's funny because he's a tough guy you know uh but i love him um yeah uh, actually i do want to talk about alligator for a moment uh i just watched it for research for this episode and i really dug it everybody listening knows that you know, they know what it's like to have a backlog, of, a backlog of movies. No matter how many movies you've seen or how much knowledge you have, there's always 5 or 10 or 20 movies that you always mean to get to but never do. And Alligator is one of them for me. Uh, yeah, I don't have any experience with it. Um, my, my best experience is I've ate Alligator one time down in Gatorland when I was younger, but... I'll, I'll have to take your word for it on the movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you'd be eating this alligator. <laughs> um, all right, well, yeah, uh, directed by Louis Teague, who later directed Cujo and Cat's Eye. Alligator is a fun ride. The effects are good. The cast is solid, led by Robert Forster of Vigilante and Jackie Brown. Sidney Lassick from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is in it as well. Um, and the movie is literally about a baby alligator getting flushed down the toilet and into the sewer system. Uh, from there, the alligator grows way bigger the, than an alligator growing up in the confines of a sewer system should logically grow. Uh, and of course, the police are incompetent, but that's okay because it's fun. The alligator in the film, I love him. He kicks ass. The scene where he busts out of the sewer is fucking rad. My favorite part by far. And he fucking Godzilla tail whips, motherfuckers, dude. Uh, and he eats a child in a fucking pool. Okay, he's eating a child. I mean... As Joe Bob said, that's still one of the taboos. Yeah, uh, it, it's brutal too. Like this, this alligator fucks this kid up, um, you know. But uh, the film winds down with a nice standoff between Robert Forster and the alligator. Uh, there's some questionable things about the movie, not necessarily, you know, like uh, the stuff that ages it. I don't care about that stuff. But weird spots in the film, like there's this homoerotic ass grab. It's very strange. Uh, there's this uh, Jaws-like music. It's very derivative of John Williams' score from Jaws. And uh, it, it's the scene where it builds 
builds up and the music's kind of doing that dun, 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 you know, and Robert Forster, you know, his character, he's uh, bent over in the sewers and, you know, the, 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 the camera's like rushing up on him. So you're like made to think that this alligator is like about to attack him. And then it literally just jumps into like his, his cop partner grabbing his ass. Like that was the big build up. That was the scare. Uh, I just thought that that was like just really weird and out of place and like just bad delivery. It wasn't a very funny joke. So it's like the nightmare on Elm street part two of like sewer alligator movies. <laughs> well, um, there's other, uh, questionable stuff as well. Like, uh, there's a newspaper cover that has a photo with the alligator and it has a human arm with the hand and all attached in its mouth. I don't really see how that could be a real thing. I don't think that if there was a, a big alligator in the sewer eating motherfuckers that, uh, there would be a newspaper printed with like that much gore and stuff on the cover because of kids and just in general. Um, but there are some great eighties quotes to take away from it, dude. Like, uh, Robert Forster, when he says, I'm going to find that alligator and kick his ass. <laughs> and, uh, and then there's uh, the old dude with the crazy eyebrows that goes, he's not hiding in the bushes, which is ironic because I'll be goddamned if the fucking alligator doesn't come out of the bushes eventually. <laughs> I mean, for, for all the problems with logic and problems with the movie, I mean, there's still something about it that we're talking about it 40 years later. Well, 41 years later. Yeah, the thing is, it's not a bad movie. It's just one of those movies where there's just some things that are out of place. It's a good watch. Uh, I'm definitely going to, you know, watch it a couple more times. Um, It's definitely worth a watch for those of you that haven't seen it. And for those of you who have seen it, you know, uh, we'd love to hear, you know, your thoughts on it. You know, hit us up on Facebook or Instagram or something and let us know, you know, if you uh, are you a fan of Alligator or no. (sighs) All right, listeners. Now it's time for Puff Puff Ask where we answer questions that you listeners ask us via social media on Instagram or Facebook or through email. Yo, man. Puff, puff, pass. Lauren from Exton, Maryland asks, what do you guys think of slow burn horror movies like Hereditary, Annihilation, or The Killing of Sacred Deer? Well, for starts, I love slow burn horror films. Uh, Everyone shits on slow burn horror films because uh, they have ADD and they need action, action, action. Most great films are slow burners. Halloween is a slow burn. Nothing happens until the last half hour. The key thing for slow burn films is that they have to have a worthy payoff. If you're going to make people stare at a screen with nothing happening for 45 minutes or more, then and then have an anticlimactic ending, you're going to get a lot of shit. That's a problem. The key in slow burn films is the payoffs. And in these films that you've given me, especially these three, uh, they're all great examples of slow burn movies with great payoff endings. The House of the Devil by Ty West is another one, is another prime example. Uh, Rosemary's Baby, St. Maud, uh, great ones. Uh, bad examples would be, most recently for me, The Witch and a film called Reunion. John, what do you think? Uh, you just hated on The Witch, man. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I never saw it because uh, you didn't like it and. Uh then I saw Edgar's second film, The Lighthouse, and I really, really enjoyed that. And uh, yeah, and then I went back and watched The Witch. I like it. I, I know you're not a fan, but I, I think it's a solid movie. Uh, you're right about Halloween. Uh, a lot of people don't think of that as a slow burn, uh, but it is. Hereditary, I've seen a lot of people online hate on Hereditary. I feel like that's either you love that movie or you hate it. I liked it. It, it definitely is slow, but it still has moments early in the movie. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of slow burn, but like you said, I mean, you have to have a payoff or, 
or you're going to be hated on. I mean, yeah, exactly. But uh, I will, I will give you one thing. I'm going to tell you what, dude. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna give The Witcher rewatch. You know, I will give The Witcher rewatch because I have subjected you to watching so much fucked up shit lately. You know, like I think that uh, it's understandable. I should give this movie a watch if you really think it's worth it. You know. Yeah, uh, anytime we we can definitely watch it again. And uh, speaking of that, it kind of goes into our second question here. Jesse from Madison, Wisconsin, uh, wanted to know if I considered The Lighthouse a horror movie, and if so, if I if I liked it. And Lighthouse, uh, I already said I'm a big fan of it, but it's 100% a horror movie. I mean, if you think The Shining is a horror movie, then damn, like, you have to consider The Lighthouse a horror movie. It has that dread and isolated feel. Two men going crazy. Were they already crazy? Is it really two guys? Are they really at The Lighthouse? There's so many possibilities in that movie. Uh, if you don't consider it horror, I mean, what, what genre are you going to put it in? And also, uh, like I said, I like The Witch. Robert Eggers is two for two with me. The dude is a fucking amazing director. And, uh, yeah, like I said, I saw this first, went back and watched The Witch, and I really like it. He has has a real knack for being very consistent with the time period he's working in. And with The Lighthouse, I feel like the job was so amazing. It felt like almost like you were watching some kind of lost film. Um, and Pattinson and Defoe were both amazing and I mean, I don't know that there's anybody that loves this movie as much as I do. I know our producer, Josh, has been annoyed several times by me for no reason just quoting this movie. <laughs> well, well, I will give you one thing. Uh, one thing that I will take away from The Witch is that it is beautiful to look at visually. It is a great period piece in regards to the way it looks. Like, I wanted to like that movie. I really did. So I definitely will give it a rewatch, you know, because I did like The Lighthouse, uh... To answer uh, Jesse's question, uh, uh, yeah, um, to answer her question, um, I do feel that I agree with John. The Lighthouse is a horror film. Uh, simply put, the best way that I can put it is uh, because horror is subjective. What might scare me does not necessarily mean that it's going to scare you. And you can be artsy and slow and still be horror. You can be artsy, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you transcend from being a horror film. Uh, in a lot of cases, you know, um, you're either just bored or you're very entertained. And uh, I like The Lighthouse. Uh, not as much as John, uh, but I do, I do like The Lighthouse, and I do consider it a horror film. Just because there's no demons or gallons of blood does not mean that it's exempt from being a genre picture. I mean, I feel like it's The Shining mixed with Lovecraft, and instead of being set at a hotel, it's being set on on this rock with this lighthouse. And the movie has such great quotes. Should pale death with treble dread make the ocean caves our bed? God who hears the surges roll, deign to save our suppliant soul. I, I, I have to say I probably can quote this movie better than anybody. Um, and if, I mean, if you haven't seen it, do yourself a favor and at least watch the scene where Wake curses Winslow. Well, at least that was his name before he spilled his beans. And fun fact, uh, Defoe did that whole curse in one goddamn scene. Damn, no shit. I did not know that. Yo, did you just, like, come up with those quotes, like, off the top of your head, or did you, like, write that? <laughs> Dude, I... Did you really just come up with that? <laughs> Dude, I can, I, can, I can throw around quotes from the lighthouse. I don't know what use it has, but... I, I can throw around some quotes. 
I gotta be honest with you. I'm impressed. That's fucking impressive. <laughs> so good, good on you, dude. And now it's time to talk about our main topic of today's show, Abnormal Attraction. Abnormal Attraction is a 2018 movie that centers around a world where people and monsters coexist. There's a group of people who want to get freaky with some of these monsters. There's a group of people who want to harm these monsters. There are monsters who want to harm the humans. What unfolds is a hilarious fucking movie filled with a few surprise twists. Will peace win out or will it end up like the Middle East? <laughs> okay, well, uh, this is a review that I typed up on IMDb after meeting the Fuzz on the Lens crew at New Jersey Horror Con in 2019 and uh, watching the film uh, in April of 2019. I find that my review is still fitting and I wouldn't change a word about it. Uh, I say that it's like Shrek for adults. I went into watching Abnormal Attraction not really knowing what to expect, but I knew it was a winner just a few minutes in. It's filled with creativity, originality, and it's witty, and it has likable characters. There are quite a few big laughs in the movie, and the makeup effects are really well done. Sure, Abnormal Attraction had a small budget, but it's a prime example of an independent film excelling in entertaining the viewer and also being completely endearing. Kudos to the cast and crew for working ridiculously hard to make this film and for bringing credible actors into the mix. It paid off. If you're looking for something fulfilling and laid back to watch, to put the kids to bed, spark up a blunt, get yourself a beer or a glass of wine, kick your feet up, and watch this movie. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the movie as well. Um, they definitely did well for the budget they had to work with. I enjoyed the monsters. I liked the twist that uh, Frankenstein is Frankstein. Uh, overall, I mean, ev ev all the monsters look good. I still thought the best-looking monster was the Beast. I don't know which one yours was, Drew. Uh, I would agree that the Beast is definitely the best-looking one, uh, but my favorite character by far was Finbar. Um, you know, Finbar was fucking hilarious. Uh, I mean, I got to think Finbar. Any fans of the movie Finbar, I would imagine, has to be your favorite character. Uh, he's definitely the most quotable. He has the best lines in the movie. Yeah, Jason Levy really kills the role with it, dude. Like, he's definitely... Uh, He's definitely a really funny actor, and he really shows on screen. Um, you know, uh, actually, what I think is funny about Abnormal Attraction is that uh, it's so funny and just such a little endearing film for me, you know, that I've watched it several times. My wife loves it, you know. And uh, the thing about it is uh, I, I would actually, in a sense, compare it to Arrested Development. I don't know if you're familiar with that TV show or not. Yeah, yeah. I, I, haven't, I haven't watched the whole series, but I'm familiar with it. Okay, well, the thing with that show for me that I noticed uh, is that, like, every time you rewatch it, there's something different to, like, laugh at that you didn't catch the first time around. Like, every time I'll watch it, I'll know the big laugh from the scene, but because I know the big laugh, I'm paying attention to someone else or something else going on in the scene, and, like, it's something else to laugh about. And I find that that's the case with Abnormal Attraction. Every time I rewatch it, I find more funny shit about it. Well, I mean, uh, you and I had watched it separately. Uh, you actually gave it to me recently to watch. And I even noticed something that, that you had in from your watches uh, with the password scene. <laughs> yeah, Blumpkin. <laughs> Again, uh, Finbar just killing it. Uh, but the, the thing I also really liked is I feel like they made the universe believable. And I feel like that's hard for the budget that was done. But just the opening scene... 
um, the therapy scene, I feel like really established the universe and kind of like, uh, I, I would kind of compare it maybe to like the boys where you're like this, this seems like a realistic portrayal if monsters really did live in our society and we had to coexist with them. Yeah, exactly. Cause they're not these like big intimidating things. They're ridiculous. So it's like really funny to like, see how they like mingle into society, you know? I mean, yeah, you have uh, a Yeti that has an ice cream truck going around giving out snow cones. Well, and I keep uh, I keep using the word endearing, but th- that's the best word for me to use for this film because there are some raunchy things, you know, like there's a uh, Craig Lloyd grin at the end, you know, when he's like, you know, eat my big fat purple dick or something like that, you know, it's just it's a hilarious line, you know, like there are some things about the film that are uh, that are a little risque, you know, the kind of you know that do have language and stuff, but overall it like manages to be like a heartfelt like almost family movie, like it's a feel good movie. Yeah, I, yeah. I- you definitely can't make it a family movie, but I, I definitely get the point you're making there. And uh, I think that about wraps up what we have to say here about Abnormal Attraction. Now uh, we'll just get Jason and Michael Levy on and talk to them about it some more. Now it's time for Burn and Learn, the segment of our show where we like to fill you in on some cool trivia facts about our episode. In this case, abnormal attraction. Oh. Hmm. Burn and learn. FYI to you listeners out there, uh, you will not find these trivia facts on IMDb or on the internet. You will only ha- only hear these facts here. And our first one here, most of the entire film was shot in Staten Island, New York, and New Jersey, with the exception of two scenes that took place in Ohio and California. Jason Levy doubled for almost every monster character at one point or another in the film. There's a 90-minute featurette on the making of Abnormal Attraction on the Blu-ray. Abnormal Attraction was originally written as a short film, but then expanded to feature length right before shooting, which is why it has a three-part parallel timeline anthology feel. The single Chains of Love featuring Jax from American Idol was created specifically for the film. Jim Hanks, Tyler Maine, and Gilbert Gottfried never met each other, even though all of their scenes were together. The Penn prison cell was shot in four different locations at four different times, and then cut to match by using editing and lighting tricks. The only person to work with everyone was Richmond Shepard, who plays the Sandman, and was used to link all of the shots together for a seamless edit on the scene. And speaking of Jim Hanks, he is the brother of Tom Hanks, and the movie also stars Steve Buscemi's brother, Michael Buscemi. Fuzz in the Lens Productions are rooted in Staten Island, New York, and they're a one-stop shop. They do it all, and they do it well. They've been voted Best Filmmakers in Staten Island since 2016. They consist of Stephen Dallasala, Michael and Jason Levy, Kyle Mullins, and Robert Privatera. With us today, Michael and Jason Levy. Thank you guys for joining us today on High I like, that, I like that opening. That was great. <laughs> Thank you for having us. Uh, it's an honor to be here, and we're excited to chat with you guys tonight. Uh, thank you again for being on and uh, just getting started off here. I believe it was back around 2016, all over the news, we kept hearing about uh, places being populated with clowns uh, and people reporting to seeing stuff everywhere. Uh, weren't you guys involved with that? Yes. Um, it was actually 
I think it was a little before that. It was around maybe 2014-ish. Um, what happened was we decided to put a clown out on the street as kind of a social experiment and see if we can create a buzz and create a stir. We were tired of you know, all the negativity that was in the news. And we wanted to kind of change the narrative of what was going on in society and our, in our community specific and specifically in Staten Island. Uh, we really didn't understand the term viral until it happened to us. Um, and we had thought, you know, maybe in a couple of months by putting this clown out there, we can create a little bit of a buzz, a little bit of a stir. But then all of a sudden it was within three days, this thing kind of exploded and really took the world by storm. And, uh, you know, through that clown thing, we were able to do two things. One was use it as a form of entertainment in itself. It was kind of like a movie on its own, real life um, kind of movie. And the other thing was also promotion for our company, Fuzz in the Lens, and it helped us get uh, our project of Normal Attraction um, funded and kind of get a little bit of exposure for who we are and that we can make a splash in this uh, entertainment industry. And uh, did you have any bad interactions uh, doing that out in public? Was there anything bad that happened or was it all all pretty positive? No, I mean, there were some people that were scared and they were concerned about what the clown was doing. But we would just go out and just, you know, we just wanted to create a buzz and just have, you know, we went out there with like a balloon. But there were like reports that people were going out with knives and stuff that happened later down the line. But the reason why we came out so early is at, with, with the clown is because there were a lot of copycats and we didn't want to get mingled into that. So we were like, all right, let's just come out and say it was us and end it and everything. Because we were, we were supposed to do it the whole summer. We were planning on you know doing this clown craze for the whole summer. And we had like spots that we wanted him to go at, like the beach and things like that. But uh, we just decided to cut it short and, and, and get, get it out there while the news was still hot. And uh, it worked out really well in our favor because it helped launch Abnormal Attraction. It got, it got us noticed in the, in the national spotlight. And uh, it was just a fun experience to, to deal with something like that. It's very crazy because there's so many news outlets that are trying to figure out who it is. And they were staking me and Michael's house trying to figure out, oh, is it really these guys? These guys have to be on it. It has to be Jason. He's bald. The clown is bald. Everything's going. So it was a big spiral, but it, it helped us, you know, cope with that type of environment, which is cool. Yeah, and to piggyback off of what Jason said, you know, we were just going out there with a with a balloon and keeping it very simple and very creepy to kind of let the minds of the people in our community let that fill in the blanks for their own. Whereas Jason mentioned the copycats that were happening across the country after we had started it, uh, started making a little bit more threatening and a little bit more violent with knives. And I think there was fake, um, uh, what was it, uh, what are those chainsaws and stuff like that. Uh, so that's where we decided to kind of come clean that it was us um, a little bit earlier than we intended because, again, we didn't want to get looped into that kind of um, connotation and that kind of reputation with it because, again, we were just trying to keep it simple, keep it fun, keep it non-threatening. Um, but, yeah, so – and we wanted, we wanted to make something in the news that's not, you know, like you hear about bad things in the news. We wanted to make it fun for the community. And I think by doing this, people got a little, you know, they had fun with it. They went out and they looked for the clown and they went, oh, can I get a picture with him? Can I go find him at this train station? He was just there. Let's go and get it. So we, it created that type of atmosphere on Staten Island that was, you know, it was very good positive energy. So that was good. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely good to hear. And uh, another one of your projects uh, on YouTube, you made a spoof trailer of the 2018 Halloween called Halloween 60. Uh, some of the subtle changes I really liked, like the receding hairline on Michael was great. 
Uh, were you guys fans of the 2018 Halloween? And uh, how did you decide to make a spoof trailer on the 2018 Halloween? Um, you know, Halloween, me and Jason grew up basically on Halloween. It was one of the first horror movies we've ever seen. We fell in love with the franchise. We have a lot of friends attached and associated that are in that franchise now that we've uh, become friendly with over the years. So our spoof trailer, even though it was a spoof and we were kind of making fun of um, the idea that Michael Myers is still around and he's well into his um, 60s at this point, um, you know, it was out of love and, you know, it was out of admiration and, and for that franchise. Uh, the reason why we decided to do it is because even though we love horror, we're also comedians at heart. We really love comedy. So kind of mixing horror and comedy for us is just a no brainer. So it just kind of made sense for us to do that. And obviously being filmmakers, um, first and foremost, we wanted to make sure that it looked right and it had a great production value. Um, that mask that we actually used is a... If anybody knows Halloween, the original uh, Michael Myers mask was a William Shatner, Captain Kirk mask um, that they had, you know, altered and changed. Ours was a current um, replica of William Shatner's face now. And, uh, you know, so it had the wrinkles and the age a little bit. The face was a little heavier. And then we decided to, you know, caricaturize it even more and add that receding hairline and that, that gray hair. Um, with Halloween Kills coming out, uh, soon, waiting for that trailer to drop. You never know. Maybe we'll have another um, fun little spoof off of that one. We'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd definitely like to see another one made. Uh, I really enjoyed that one. <laughs> uh, besides the original Halloween, what's your favorite Halloween movie? Ah, uh, man. I mean, Mike. I know Mike's going to say two. I know he like he just watched three, but he he. He treats that as his own its own movie. You can't treat it as part of the Halloween franchise. You got to treat it as something on its own. Well, the, the Michael Myers, yeah, right. Same. The Michael. I think I think two would be. I think two is the is the next best one. I I feel I feel because I just think the two mask was. I, I go based off a of mask at this point when it comes to sequels, and I think that two was one of the one of the better masks as opposed yeah. to all the other ones. I mean, I like uh, obviously the original 1978 is my favorite. Um, I'd go 1978, Halloween 2, and then it's kind of a toss-up for me for Curse of Michael Myers versus 2018 um, in there. And then Halloween 4 actually is really good. I always forget that one. But that one, is, I think, is a great Halloween sequel. Uh, I really, really love it. The only problem I do I personally have is, is some of the continuity errors with the mask, same that kind of happened with H2O, and I think that kind of takes away from the film. But that's just me being nitpicky, I guess. Yeah, I'd have to say three is my favorite, but you can't consider it in the Michael Myers story. I'd have, I'd have. To- <laughs> yeah, three is a great movie. I, I never, I, you know, when I was younger, because I, I, Michael Myers and everything, I never gave three a real chance until a few years ago. I actually said, let me watch this, knowing now, okay, this is just as a movie, and I absolutely love it. I think Tom Atkins' performance is incredible. I like the adventure kind of story, um, trying to investigate and figure out what's going on with the, the masks and the, the, you know, the, the, the store that's making them, the warehouse. Um, the music is really, really good. The atmosphere in that film is fantastic. So it really is a, a movie that if people don't initially remember liking it, they should go back and revisit for sure, because it is a good movie. Yeah, I was the same way as a kid. I thought it was stupid, and then I heard a couple people say, no, just pretend it's its own movie and they're right I, I i did the same thing with drew he wasn't a fan and i got him to rewatch it and he ended up liking it a lot more than he originally did 
Yeah. And uh, uh, you also had a project here in 2020 called Pen and Slain. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about mm-hmm. that? Uh, yeah. So after we had filmed um, our movie of normal attraction with Tyler Maine, um, anybody who's familiar with him, he's Michael Myers and Rob Zombie's Halloween, uh, Sabretooth in the X-Men movies. Um, we, you know, became very friendly and he'd asked us to help him produce uh, one of his projects, uh, Penance Lane, which is a low-budget, independent horror film. And he's not really used to doing those kinds of films. He's more from the studio, bigger-budget stuff. So he called upon us and our expertise on how can you know he get it done and get it across the finish line and you know still make it have high production value. So he brought us in after working on Abnormal Attraction together. And it was a really fun experience. We went down to Georgia um, for about a month uh, of shooting and then a month before that for pre-production and built the entire set, the house, uh, the interior of Penance Lane in Tyler Maine's basement. Um, he has a house down there and we basically made his entire basement a studio and it was a lot of fun. It was, um, you know, kind of just that real true guerrilla indie filmmaking, get it done, low budget. Uh, he brought some of his friends on board, the John Schneider, uh, Scout Terrell Compton, Danny Roebuck, who's become a great friend since that uh, shoot, um, uh, Booker T and Diamond Dallas Page from his wrestling days. And that was a really, really fun experience. You know, it was kind of um, shooting a first movie for us that was out of state, really, mm-hmm. you know, that we're so used to making a lot of films here in Staten Island or in the New York tri-state area. So that was the first film that we were really on location in and kind of away from our comfort zone. And, you know, we had a great time putting it all together. I'm proud of how it ended up, you know, whenever you do any movie, you know, just to get it across the finish line is always a big deal. Um, and then to do it with really limited resources and a limited budget, you know, when you complete it and it's a complete full story with production value, that's always um, an honor and, and just an accomplishment in its own. Right. And it also taught you, too, because we're so, you know, when we're on Staten Island, we were, we were young at the time. When you're on Staten Island, you, it's so tight knit that you know everybody, you know locations. So it actually taught us in the filmmaking process, all right, let's go out, let's talk to these people, let's see where we can film, how we can film it, what time we can film it. And that really built it upon our, you know, our production skills too. So it was good in that aspect as well. And uh, you mentioned Booker T and Diamond Dallas Page. That was actually another question I had here. Uh, how did they become involved in it? Uh, were you guys big WCW fans? <laughs> Yeah, they, they got involved uh, pretty early on in the process because Tyler Maine, for those of you who don't know his background, he came from wrestling. Um, that's how he got started before getting into the acting um, and filmmaking world. So he was friends with them for a long time. And when it came down to make the film, you know, he put the call in because you got to rely on people you can trust, people who you know you can deliver and perform, uh, and people you know that's going to bring it and you can count on. So those were two of his guys that he knew that uh, he was going to bring onto the project. And it was just an honor to be able to work alongside with them. I, in particular, was um, you know a, a general fan of, of wrestling and WWE, WWF, and stuff like that. But I wasn't too crazy like some people on Fuzz the Lens were. Uh, I know Kyle Mullins, uh, one of our um, workers with us, that he was really excited about working with Booker and um, Diamond Dallas Page and and you know shooting with them so that was a real excitement and a treat just to see how excited he was right and they were both general you know they were they were great guys too they were very team players they were always up for the task and they were easy to work with which is always nice too did you guys make booker t do a spin of rooney on set 
<laughs> we didn't have the time to do that, but I wish I did now looking back on it. We didn't have the time because we were running around from location to location, but I wish I could go he back did, in time and do that. <laughs> he did He did get flipped, though, and we had him on like a rope yeah. or something, if I remember correctly, and we had the, the stunt guys who the stunt coordinator was the same stunt coordinator on the original X-Men film, uh, Ben Jensen, who was friends with Tyler and came over from that. And I know that they hooked Booker up um, on his leg or something, and they they pulled him with like the the pulley system and the ropes, and he did like a you know like a one eighty in the air. So that was pretty cool. Just there to some, see that. some wrestling in there, some. <laughs> yeah. And uh, currently, uh, you're working on your latest project, Stream, uh, featuring Felissa Rose, Jeremy Combs, and David mm-hmm. Howard Thornton. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that film? Yeah, so um, we haven't released too much on Stream. Uh, we actually will be releasing a lot more um, this next coming month um, and officially announce everything. But it's a movie that we shot in Gettysburg um, in the middle of the teeth of the pandemic. Uh, we had been planning to do this film for a couple of years and we were in the middle of working on Terrifier and then Terrifier 2. So it kept getting pushed and we were waiting for funds. And then when the pandemic hit, it kind of gave us a little bit of um, time to take a step back and get that film in order and say, okay, we got to go now or it's going to keep getting, you know, pushed. And as sad as it is what happened with the pandemic in our situation, it helped to an extent because our entire film takes place in one location, pretty much of a hotel. And we had, because of the pandemic, not many people were traveling. So we were able to get that location all to ourselves which obviously during COVID times to be quarantined with your cast and crew is ideal and not have too many people coming in and out, you know, they get tested and, you know, we had to follow all those protocols, of course, but it, it just makes things a little less stressful, a little more easy. So um, we shot most of the film, majority of it, I'd say about 90% to mm-hmm. 95% of it um, is complete in uh, January and February, which is we thought, you know, the pandemic would be at the tail end and that's kind of when it had its next huge spike. Um, but we were already committed to go and thankfully nobody got sick on set. Everybody had a great time. We were able to focus on creating and we do have a great, um, horror cast. Uh, mostly none of this has been announced just yet. Um, but it will be soon. But as you can see on IMDb's where you probably got some of your, um, information on it. Um, yeah, it stars Jeffrey Combs. Um, trying to just make sure who's on there that I don't add <laughs> anybody, but Jeffrey Combs is there. And I know D- David Howard Thornton, who's Art the Clown from Terrifier. Um, Tim Reed is, is up there from the original um, Stephen King's It. Um, and I don't want to say anybody else just mm-hmm. in case they're not there. But there are a, a couple of good ones. There's a, there's couple, a, there's oh, a lot more that's not on there. There's a lot more yeah. that's not on there. But also, yeah, for, what was good, which also what was good about it is that we took our team that made Terrifier so successful. Like we brought Damien on to do the special effects in this one. We had David. We got the DP to be the gaffer on this one. So we kept that family atmosphere from Terrifier and brought it to stream which is really going to up the ante of this film, I feel. And it's it, the, the kills are crazy because you know how Damien is with the Terrifier. And uh, we really we tried to make these kills a lot, uh, like a lot, you know, gorier and stuff like that. And he really came through for us on that. Yeah, Damien really um, brought that charm that he has from Terrifier and those kills and really up the ante with Stream. And, you know, between... Those two films that we have coming out in Terrifier 2 and Stream, I couldn't be more proud to be a part of uh, both of them. And I think that 
audiences and fans, especially Terrifier fans of the first film, are really, really going to enjoy the, the, those two films, uh, projects that we have coming out. And I understand there's a Kickstarter campaign to fund some unfunded scenes. Uh, how's that been going? Yeah, so we it had, it's going to be an Indiegogo one. It hasn't launched yet. Um, we're currently putting it together now. So next month, we're going to make an official announcement to everyone about this and about this movie and who's in the film. Um, you know, kind of release all that information along with an Indiegogo campaign. Uh, and really what it's for is just, you know, for horror fans like us to, you know, get involved and, and to make something special and get in on the ground floor. You know, there's so many times when I was younger that I wish that I was able to have gotten in on a movie like Terrifier before it exploded. You know, to be a part of a movie like Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street or something, something that you know is special and something that's really, really cool and, and could grow into a big franchise. So we're trying to offer that to the horror community and say, hey, listen, let's do this together. Let's kind of change the industry. Let's make you know, a, a, a splash and explosion um, and show these studio films that are kind of regurgitating the same stuff now over and over again, that horror still can be fresh and movies, especially independent ones, are the ones that are being unique right now. And, and, you know, let's kind of show them that there are no boundaries or any limits in, in horror films in particular. And we want to showcase that with stream. Right. And we wanted to make a movie that's for the fans, by the fans. And we want to get as many as the fans involved because this horror community, you know, you see it at these conventions, they're so tight knit and they're so close and they could be so supportive. But if you mess up, they could be so negative. But it's it's good negativity because you learn from that. But it's that's all constructive. Want, right. It's all constructive. So we really wanted to bring those fans in on this journey with us. So that's why we wanted to start the Indiegogo is to really get these fans involved in the process of, of you know, being a part of a film saying, hey, I, listen, I was a part of a film. Let's, you know, let's try to get this, you know, let's get this big. Let's get that. Let's get the horror community behind it. And that was the main goal for, for it. And that's really good to hear. We, we definitely need something fresh and horror, and uh, it definitely sounds sounds appealing. Uh, do, do you have a release date set for the film? Not yet. You know, we're kind of following, uh, as you know, we have Terrifier 2 that has to be released first. So we're waiting to see what happens with that. Everyone knows Damien's goal is yesterday. We wish we could have had this thing out. Um, but due to the pandemic, things were delayed, and we're hoping to have it out you know, by Halloween of this year. But again, it's kind of up to the distribution sales agents and those things. That's the, the business part of it. Um, but that's the goal is this fall. And then once that happens, that's where the rest of the chips for stream will kind of fall into place, you know, because Terrifier 2 should come out first. We worked on that movie first. We can't wait to get it out to the fans. The fans have been waiting and they've been so supportive. So that's our main focus is to get that film out first. And then shortly thereafter, we'll follow it up with uh, Stream and hopefully another franchise everybody can be excited about and get behind um, and just enjoy. You know, because that's why we do this is really to entertain everyone and to, to make good quality uh, films that, that just, you know, give you a fun ride. All right, guys, that sounds amazing. But uh, let's talk about Abnormal Attraction now. Um, after I met you guys uh, at New Jersey HorrorCon, you guys, uh, you know, turned me on to the movie and signed, you know, a little flyer for me and everything. And I went home and watched it and I loved it. And I remember uh, I reached out to you, Michael, through Facebook. And I was like, this guy's so busy. He's not going to respond. But I got to tell him, like, for an indie little comedy film, that was fucking amazing. Like, I thought it was so good. And uh, I reviewed it on IMDb and I said it was uh, it was like Shrek for adults. 
you know and uh i just wanted to know like uh, I, I know that you guys produced it along yeah. with uh steven de la sala and that you uh you all wrote it um how did that come about what was the story like how did how did that like organically grow into um abnormal attraction yeah um yeah i mean listen normal attraction was a fun passion project that we really wanted to get off the ground um and you know, we had a lot of budget limitations with that because when you're making a big fantasy monster movie, um, you know, a lot of costs come with that, but we wanted to keep that charm of like that eighties campiness, um, and nineties kind of campiness to it. So that's kind of the direction we went with. And the idea had come about, we were actually at a film festival in New York called the, um, New York city, um, horror film festival. And, Steve Della Sala, our partner, was looking around. It was, it's always around like, uh, you know, everyone always gets dressed up. It's around like Halloween and, and in the Christmas season. It's in between there. Um, and everyone was dressed up in costumes like, you know, girls were these sexy zombies and these guys were these, you know, attractive uh, werewolves and things like that. And he says, you know, there's there's an interesting idea here, uh, idea here um, that is this is almost like a fetish thing. And it's kind of interesting how people are still attractive while they, they look like monsters and stuff. So we started spitballing and having fun with that concept. Like, oh, imagine if one, you know, one, you know, one of them has a real Sasquatch in their basement. And uh, that scene ended up in the movie. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the idea kind of sparked from there. And it's like, you know, and, and, and they're kind of like alcoholics, but they're not. They're, they're, they're uh, having a normal attraction and there's a meeting. And it kind of just... You know, that's how we work. We just kind of spitball and rift on things. And then the situation becomes more bizarre. And then eventually somehow it becomes a movie uh, that we make. Right, so it, that's where it was originally a short film is where I was going to say. And um, we had pitched around to a couple of people and everybody had told us, you know, this is a really fun idea. You should make it a feature. Um, you know, don't waste your time making a short film where you can't you know, get it out to the masses or see any return on it, you know, because you guys are putting a lot of effort into this and, and, um, it's really, really funny. So eventually we developed it into a feature and that's why it has that three act structure because the, only the first, um, part was the first 20 minutes or whatever was what we had written at the time. And then we decided to kind of make this parallel, uh, anthology kind of movie that all comes together at the end. And, and then slowly but surely we added <laughs> in the character of Finbar here, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so played by Jason, which is a fun little character for anybody who ha hasn't seen the movie yet. Um, so yeah, it just kind of grew from there. And it was a lot of fun to make. We have a great cast with Malcolm McDowell, Gilbert Gottfried, Tyler Maine, Leslie Easterbrook, Ron Jeremy, uh, Bruce Davison, Academy Award nomin uh, nominated actor. And he was in the X-Men movies, Willard. Um, Ron Jeremy makes a cameo appearance. Uh, and uh, we have two brothers in the movie of uh, major stars. And they're, they're great actors in their own right. Uh, Michael Buscemi, Steve Buscemi's brother, and Jim Hanks, who's a, a great friend now, and that's Tom Tom Hanks's brother, and they're, they're both really, really, really good actors, and you know we're so helpful in the in the you know making of this film. But the main the main thing for the movie is we wanted to make a movie that you know we grew up loving. We love me and Mike used to watch the movies where monsters were humanized or TV shows like The Monsters, and they brought them into this. They made them do human things, but they're monsters. But they Halloween so Town, Halloween Town, or the Adams Family. We were always so fascinated by that you know type of structure of story of storytelling. So we really wanted to make a movie that was like that. 
but for adults that had adult humor, but so the adults can reminisce on their childhood. So that's the reason why we made it into that, you know, this big monster thing, them humanizing Frank Stein, talking about how he's Jewish. His name's Frank Stein. It's not Frankenstein. Frankenstein's my, the, the guy who created me. I'm just a monster. So we wanted yeah. to create those type of scenarios. And, and I think that's what, that was the main goal of the movie. And it was just a fun movie to make. And as much as funny as it was watching, it was definitely fun to make. Oh, yeah. And it's just the same, like, you know, there's so many pop culture references in it. And, you know, we want to include that because as kids, we love fairy tales and monster movies and stuff. And we were just like, there's no movie like that. You know, Shrek, it might be like the kind of the closest or like a Roger Rabbit, but they have their limits, right? They don't kind of really make it adultified. And we said, screw it. Let's make something that is the niche um, thing and has this kind of uh, culty kind of uh, feel to it. And let's see what happens. And, and thankfully, there was a lot of really positive responses to it. And, you know, you're not going to please everybody, but the people who understood it and got it loved it. You know what I mean? That's what we were making. Those are the people we were making it for. Uh, speaking of Finbar, I have to ask, what is your favorite Finbar line? Mine has to be, did you kick me, bitch? Yeah, everyone loves that line. And that line wasn't even written in the script. It was actually thought of on the day of. I remember we were sitting, we were laughing. So whenever Finbar was, like, whenever I was doing Finbar, we, we would just laugh nonstop because when I, when I act, I like to improv a lot of things that are not on script. So just, like, these weird things would start coming out of my mouth. But well, the we funny thing up, is the whole, the whole cast and crew, when Jason's playing Finbar, everyone talks as Finbar. Right. So exactly. it's not even like Jason. It's like I'm sitting there going, Jay, you know, what do you go over there? You know, go get that. It's like everybody puts on that Finbar voice. Right. Um, and Jason, you never know what the hell is going to come out of his mouth. So each take is always different, which is a continuity nightmare when you're editing. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, uh, that kick me bitch thing was was a, a riot on set. And I don't know if I don't think Nicole, who plays Alyssa, knew it was coming. Um, and Eileen Dietz was a great trooper and a lot of fun to work with on that scene. And she was really holding her own because it's tough when you're working with someone like Jay, who just kind of riffs, um, you know, off the cusp. And, uh, right. you know, I, I know the whole, this, my favorite Finbar scene, it might not be one of his lines, um, is the, the makeout scene. Uh, I always think that's funny because it's so unexpected. This guy's talking about he hates monsters the whole movie, and then he just starts locking lips <laughs> with uh, with an alien, you know. So that that always makes me laugh to this day. Yeah, I think my favorite. I mean, doing and just. I mean, I really enjoyed the kitchen table scene. I thought that was really. We had a lot of laughs, but when we were doing the the peaches penis thing. When we were walking down the woods with James and the giant penis and gave it a standing <laughs> masturbation. That was that was really funny because that was like a conversation that means That was a real me. conversation. It was a real conversation. <laughs> we had. I was like, you ever see this? I said we were talking about I remember me and Steve, we needed another scene of Finbar because we felt like the movie was lacking something. So me and Steve are in the car and we're thinking like it's just a normal conversation. Like, oh, you ever hear these fucking these porno names like E. T. the extra testicle or this and that? And I said, What about James and the giant penis? And then we, I started, obviously, the Finbar voice came out, and we started rifting back and forth. And that's exactly how the scenario played out in real life, is how we wrote it in the movie, which is actually a pretty fun fact. So. Yeah, that was fun. There's so many little ones, too, that, <laughs> that get is me a fun now, fact. That, like, you um, don't even realize that's, you know, they're like, there's some of the big ones. Sorry, I don't know if I got froze. Yeah, Sorry. no, go ahead. Um, no, I was just saying, like, uh, like I like when he's walking over to the little, the little gun and says, I got blue balls. Like, it's like one of those throw <laughs> Oh, wait, lines. Uh, well, you guys, uh, yeah, you guys have roles in the film. Uh, Michael, you're Timothy, uh, and 
uh, Jason, you obviously played Finbar, but I think I also spotted you as like the little Humpty Dumpty baby, like in the beginning of the film on the top of the fence. Um, I just want to know, like, how does it feel to like play such like fun, exaggerated roles? Like, you guys had to have a blast. That shows up on screen, you know. Well, those are my favorite roles to play is, uh, you know, a bunch of characters. I'm a character actor. I, I, I enjoy making people laugh. So as many characters as I can play, I don't mind getting in makeup for five or seven hours or whatever. And in Abnormal Attraction, I played about almost every character in that movie sometimes because there At was one point, like, he doubled yeah, for a lot of people. I yeah. doubled for a lot of people. But, <clears throat> I mean, it's just fun, like the Humpty Dumpty guy. Not a lot of people notice that, which I'm pretty I'm pretty impressed that you actually got that because not no one has ever said that it was me yet. But <laughs> you're the first one, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, uh, we always try to put ourselves in the film somewhere. Um, you know, it's it's for me, it's a little tougher to be in it too much because obviously directing and stuff, and that takes a lot of, of time and focus to do. But we always try to find somewhere to put us, like Steve Delasalo, who's one of our producing partners. He's the DP. He played um, the vampire that sucks dick. Uh, so, <laughs> so, and he wrote that scene for himself. So, uh, <laughs> you know, but, uh, we just have fun, man. And, and, you know, as funny and as silly as that movie is, uh, there's a lot of good morality behind it, you know, and about accepting and about accepting ourselves and about accepting others. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, kind of undertones on what was and what is going on in society today. And, you know, it's just about, listen, just kind of, you don't have to agree with someone, but you should respect what their opinions are and you should respect that they have their own opinions and kind of have a, a, an open debate about things and, and just, you know, just be cool about it, you know, and, and that's and, and that's kind of what we were trying to showcase with that film and and kind of get across and just show that, um, you know, we, we as many differences as we all have, there's a lot of similarities between all of us. Okay. Um, so, uh, okay. But well, my next question is, uh, you guys had, uh, mentioned before, uh, uh, Michael, you had just mentioned about working with, you know, Leslie, Leslie Easterbrook and Bruce Davison. And now you're telling us, you know, that you have like, you know, Jeffrey Combs and stuff in your new movie. Like, how does that feel for you guys to be like working on these movies, but like working with the people that you like the icons, the people that you, that has to be a great feeling working with people like that. I mean, they're not just nobodies, you know what I mean? You guys are very fortunate, like to be working with people like that. I know it feels great. Yeah, it's, it's fun. You know, um, it's surreal when you first kind of get them in the room and you start hearing the lines come to life uh, from them. But then, you know, you just kind of, you get grounded and you realize we're all there to do a job and we're there to create. And, and what's great about everyone I've worked with is none of them had an ego. They've all were, you know, looked at me like an equal and, and, you know, just kind of creating and doing this thing together and going on this journey. What's really fun is, is yeah, I did grow up, you know, watching these guys and these, these girls and these women on screen. And, you know, it is cool that, 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 you know, I'm able to, and very fortunate that I'm able to kind of work with them. And it just goes to show that hard work pays off and you get, you know, if you, if you keep going after your dreams and stuff, you can accomplish them. Um, you know, some of the greatest things I heard from Malcolm McDowell is after I worked with him, he says, you know, you're a director who knows what he wants. And I like that. And that gave me a lot of confidence as a young director at the time, um, to keep going and just to keep believing in what I'm doing and my vision and don't steer off of that. And, and, you know, if you, you can't be afraid to tell someone, you know, try it this way, you know, or, or, you know, um, I think you could do it this way. And these guys are, and, and women are professionals and they really bring their A game and, and working with them. Everyone really has been a, a pleasure so far. All right. So, um, last question that I have for you guys is, um, terrifier two, it's happening. 
Um, what can you tell us about it? I know that uh, Stephen De La Sala and Jason, you guys reprise your roles as the police officers <laughs> as far as IMDb goes. Is there anything else that you guys can tell us? Craig Lloydgren told us that uh, Damien Leone outdoes the Saw scene about three or four times in Terrifier 2, but he wouldn't go into detail, and that's fine. But is there anything you guys feel that you could share with us? I'll just tell you that, I mean, it's good. the kills are going to be bigger. The story's bigger. You're going to care for the characters a lot. It's it's way bigger than the first one. So many more locations, so much more production value. It's gonna it's gonna it's gonna really compete with the with the first Terrifier. And I think the fans are gonna. Damien's been showing me clips. Uh, it's 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 edited. He's got the movie together, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a crazy ride for all the fans. I'll tell you that right now. That I know. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's it's always tough, and I make this joke a lot, but it's always tough to say. Uh, but this one is because we were in the first. I was in the first one, and, and sadly got to die. But being a part of this one as a producer and as an assistant director, Damien and the entire cast and crew outdone themselves. This movie will be better than Terrifier One. Will be bigger than Terrifier One. Anyone who liked Terrifier One will like this film, and anyone who didn't like Terrifier One, I'm pretty confident will like this film actually, um, because it's got a lot of character depth. It's got a great story, which the first one, you know, it's no secret, didn't have much of a storyline other than it felt like a last 15 minutes of a slasher film dragged out over an hour and a half. And Damien is on record saying that himself. So this one really um, dives deep into, you know, having a great story that sets up uh, his ultimate trilogy that he wants to do. And we'll see what goes on beyond that. Um, but let me tell you, it is so cool. And the kills did outdo um, the ones in the original Terrifier, no one is going to be disappointed. It definitely delivers the goods uh, for sure. There's like one kill scene in particular that's like over six minutes. It's just <laughs> yeah. huge um, and it's really, really great and it's big. Um, and that's thanks to a lot of the people who contributed on Indiegogo that helped us uh, be able to accomplish that. It's uh, um, a tribute to Damien just uh, not holding back and shooting everything that he wanted to that he had in his script um, and all of us just executing it for him and believing in the project. You guys are really going to enjoy the character of Sienna. Um, I think she could be the modern day Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis, um, if not bigger, I think, because the actress Lauren who played uh, the character is unbelievable. And she brings so much uh, passion and talent and raw emotion to the to the screen. And I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy it. I, I can't wait to see it all come together because we really poured our heart and soul into this film. Now the kills in the first one, double it, and that's what the kills for the second one. There's going to be a hell of a lot. It might even be quadrupled. That we we filmed so many kill scenes, it's insane. And the amount of blood that we used on this one alone surpassed gallons, vats of blood. So it's definitely going to be gory. It's definitely going to be cringy. It's definitely going to be gritty, and you guys will enjoy it. I know we're both, uh, Drew and I are both really excited to see the second one, and you guys have just uh, have made us even more interested in it. Yeah. And uh, uh, where, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, so you can find me. I mean, we're on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, um, general uh, web website. You can follow us on fuzzinthelens.com. We also have a Patreon page where we release private um, content, and we're going to be releasing some interesting stuff uh, probably this week. Um, that obviously I can't talk about publicly, but Patreon members will exclusively get those things first. Uh, and then, you know, you could find me just, uh, Michael Levy on any of those things or at Levis Island on Instagram. 
um, you know, but mainly fuzz in the lens and you'll find it. You'll find right. us. And also on Patreon, if you sign up, we have, we actually shot a, a horror short over the summer at a real haunted mansion that we're releasing to only to the Patreon at first before it goes to the film festival. So we're going to release the, the you know, the, the short film. So if you're a part of that, but there's going to be more, uh, you know, more announcements in the coming, in the coming months, but that's where you can get, you know, most of our stuff before it comes out, our short films and things like that. Well, we'd like to thank Jason and Michael Levy again for joining us today for our interview. And uh, we hope to talk to you guys soon, hopefully after uh, Terrifier 2 comes out and stream. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you thank guys you for guys. having us. And excited to come back. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to all you listeners out there, you horror hounds and smokers. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you to Jason and Michael Levy for joining us today. I'm glad Jason had as much fun playing Finbar as we had watching him. I was disappointed they did not get Booker T to do the Spinaroonie on set. Now, Drew, if we ever get Booker T on here, make sure that we get him to do the Spinaroonie. Uh, I'm going to definitely let you introduce him if we ever get Booker T on here. Oh, he will get one of the best intros ever. Uh, but anyway, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at HighOnHorror420 and Twitter at High underscore Horror. And next week, we will have Spookies and Street Trash producer Frank Farrell joining us. Thank you, everybody. Please like and subscribe. Catch you later. Bye.